Well, uh, what a wonderful weekend. This has kind of been a busy weekend for my family. My son Mark turned 16 on Friday. Woohoo! I was going to make a joke about the roads. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, always, it's always sorry when you see the, the car insurance quote. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Um, but super excited for him. And uh, this is always a fun time of year. The 6K then was yesterday. So we had, you know, party on, on Friday. We had another housewarming party for a neighbor of ours and softball. I mean, these are the spring weekends that just seem jam-packed with lots of good stuff to do. And so excited to be here this morning with you. Our current series we started a, a, a few weeks ago is about God's kingdom. The kingdom is, and our kind of working definition of that has been the kingdom of God. The kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's place. And over the first few weeks, we're kind of focused on the God's reign piece of that, and we're going to shift gears and start leaning towards God reigning through us. And so hopefully opening our eyes to the many different ways that, that, that God is actively, you know, through us, is active in the world. And so whether it's the 6K that we were doing yesterday or whether it's just um, learning somebody's name who's new at work or school, like these are tangible ways that God expresses his love and his care uh, to the world through us. And for people who want to follow Jesus, being clear on this topic is helpful, I'd even say critical, because in my experience, we've kind of have this really narrow view of God's kingdom and what that means. In fact, it's so narrow, uh, it's, it's almost like we've made it a tourist destination, okay? And, and, and what I mean by that is like there's this transaction that, that's involved, like, hey, you know, pray this prayer and you're in God's kingdom, and in my observation, it's like, you know, that's, that's fine and good, but it's like we arrived, you know, it's like taking a plane to Hawaii, jumping out on the tarmac, and a few days later, you realize, like, nobody's left the airport, okay? There is this paradise, this kingdom that, that we've entered into, and there is this world out there that God wants us to explore. And so uh, it's been definitely my journey of faith just to broaden my view, my understanding of what the good news is, what the gospel is, what the kingdom is. And Jesus talked about the kingdom a whole lot. And I, I know it's probably the first time someone made that statement to me, I was like, did he really? Like, yeah, he did. If you start reading the gospels, the accounts of Jesus's life, and, and pay it, instead of just having that be a, uh, a word that you go, oh, kingdom... Like, as you read the accounts, as you read Jesus' teachings and sayings, like, and, and you use that as a speed bump, like stop when you see kingdom, you will be stopping often. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God a lot. He uses different phrases, different images, you know, my father's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Um, you'll find him describing it during his most important and well-known teachings, like the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is regarded as one of Jesus' best, actually, uh, most profound teachings. Uh, in fact, I remember even in college, like in a philosophy class, we covered the Sermon on the Mount because it was such a significant, like, teaching in the history of humanity that it, you know, uh, our professor felt like it was something that we should all know. And uh, I want to read how it, Jesus begins this sermon, or this kind of uh, passage of teaching. And you'll find the whole sermon on, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're going to just read uh, Matthew 5, 
verses 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So that passage right there that I just read, and thanks for the exclamation ping on that one, right? Ding! Yes! Um, Found it, right? Uh, That's known as the Beatitudes, or or literally the, the Blesseds. The Blesseds. And this is where Jesus kind of points out what life or what people are like in God's empire. Uh, You could also translate blessed as happy, which is kind of interesting to think about. You know, happy are those, Jesus saying over and over and over again. And uh, the people that are described as blessed or happy probably aren't the ones who we would necessarily think should be happy or are happy. In fact, Jesus, it's like he's describing an alternate reality. You know, some of these, like, blessed are those who, who mourn? Blessed are those who mourn? They'll be comforted? Blessed are the merciful? Really, Jesus? I mean, our, our mantra is show no mercy, right? That's who wins. Jesus is like, no. Blessed are happy are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. The children of God are peacemakers. Think about that for a second. The children of God. I mean, you'd assume it'd be, well, the best and the brightest. Obviously, they've been, you know, blessed by God. Or, or you know, um, I could see the children of God being priests and prophets, or the children of God being from a specific, like, ethnic group. But the children of God are those who pursue peace? Really? I mean, what a contrast All of this is to the ways of our world, what we just learn by osmosis, living inside of it. In our world, it's not the meek who get anything. By the way, meek, uh, I I always have to stop and describe that. I mean, for us, meek means people who are like doormats, super passive. That's not what meek means. Meek is humility. Meek is gentleness. Meek is like the non-aggressive types in society. And it's those people who will inherit the earth. Not the driven, not the powerful, not the privileged, not the folks who get out there and hustle and get after it each and every day. They're not the ones who will inherit the earth. It's the meek. And you probably noticed the phrase, because at least I hope you did, about the kingdom of heaven. It kind of starts and almost ends that whole little introduction passage that Jesus gives about the kingdom of heaven. And um, a, a good question to ask is like, why, why does Jesus start and end talking about the kingdom of heaven? It's because he's saying the people who embody these values, these are the people who are a part of God's kingdom. 
You think for a moment who Jesus is talking to, like his audience on that day. He's talking to, to, to Jews. He, he's talking to people who um, ethnically believed that they, I mean, they identified as God's people. And Jesus is, you know, saying, well, not really. I mean, that had to have been a huge head scratcher. I mean, you think like kingdom is usually like the boundaries of a country, right? It's a, it's a kingdom. You live inside those boundaries. You're a part of that kingdom. Or you descend from a, you know, in that case, Abraham. You're, you're part of that people group. That means you're, you're part of God's kingdom. And Jesus is saying, no, clearly this is going to be different. And from the start of Jesus' teaching, that's unmistakable. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit. That means that as a virtue, you as a person acknowledge kind of your powerlessness, your spiritual bankruptcy apart from God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus is saying you're blessed when you kind of admit your own powerlessness. When you... um, kind of recognize that that you're spiritually bankrupt. That's the kind of humility required to take the first step into God's kingdom. I don't have this figured out, Lord. Please help me. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, people weren't always spiritually bankrupt. That's not how it was in the beginning. In fact, God's idea all along was to reign through his people that were made in his image. And you see that, especially in the beginning of the Bible and at the end. See, uh, Genesis starts with this, this phrase. In fact, the opening of the Bible and the, and the close of the Bible, they have a huge amount in common. It's kind of eerie if you just read the first couple chapters and the ending couple chapters. You know, Genesis 1, it's in the beginning, God created and at the end of Revelation, this is, um, the, the, we'll put the next passage up for you, in Revelation 21, the Apostle John is having this vision, and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first, first heaven and earth had passed away. And it, you know, it kind of begs the question, like, what happened? Right? What happened? And if you look at a Bible, you know, they're, they're pretty thick. There's a lot of, lot of fine print inside there, a lot, of, a lot of small writing. All of that in the middle is kind of letting us know what happened. And in a nutshell, it's, you know, God created the heavens and the earth, and then we screwed it up. That's, that's kind of how, I mean, or, or you could say, um, God created the heavens and the earth, we screwed it up, Jesus arrives at a watershed moment, and eventually God sets it all straight again. In fact, theologians, they have, um, you know, theologians come up with, sometimes they're smart, like synopsises of, but, you know, not always. So they have four words that they use to describe kind of the broad movement of the Bible, and the first is the creation, and then there's the fall, and then there's redemption, and then there's restoration, kind of in a broad sweep of, 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 you know, that much scripture of what's going on. And uh, it's, it's really fun to think about, like, so in the big picture scheme of things, according to the Bible, where are we right now? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We're, we're kind of right there. 
in between the third and fourth, in between redemption and restoration. That's, that's where we are kind of right now. You know, next week, May 26th, so just a few days away, I think that's Thursday. Don't quote me on that. Maybe it's Friday. Um, May 26th this year is called Ascension Day. That's exactly 40 days after Easter. And so this is when Christians remember uh, Jesus being taken up into heaven after his resurrection. Ascension Day. And uh, at that moment, he commissions his disciples, and he says this. This is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that's something that we refer to as the Great Commission. Jesus is saying, here's your assignment. Here's what you're to go do. Here is your mission. And since then, we've kind of expectantly waited for his return, for him to come back. In fact, we even have a name for it. We call it Jesus's return. Isn't that brilliant? Right? No, we have lots of names for it. We, the second coming, which is kind of, you know, the second advent. Uh, it, it used to be like way, way back, you call it the parousia or the day of the Lord. I mean, we got judgment day. It kind of gets more and more dark. Like this is all describing like Christians waiting around for this next moment when Jesus returns. And early Christians even had a secret kind of code word they greeted each other with, and you probably, you've probably heard this if you've been around the church in a while, but we, we don't say it. I'm not saying that we should because that might be kind of weird. Um, it's Maranatha. Maranatha. That means our Lord come. And so that used to be the kind of secret handshake that Christians would, Maranatha, our Lord come. This expectant, joyful, hopeful return of Jesus. And uh, since Jesus left, we're still waiting. So what should we do while we wait? Maybe we should just sit around and wait. Uh, no, a better idea, let's quit our jobs and then sit around and wait. Right? I know, oh, uh, that's been done a couple times. Um, so, uh, people have tried that. You, you want to know what else they've tried? They've, they've tried things like this. They've, they've argued over the best and only way to baptize someone. Um, I know church fundraiser, right? We'll sell indulgences. This is how people can get forgiven. And that also will help us to build bigger and better church buildings. Amen. That's what Jesus has called us to do. Or, or maybe we should build bigger and better worship services. Maybe we should flex our political muscle and build bigger and better Christian nations. I don't know. These are all things that people have, Christians, uh, uh, good intentioned Christians have done in Jesus' name. And what the church has been, you know, trying to do, what do we do? What do we do while we wait? And some of this has actually been attempts bringing about God's kingdom on earth. 
what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it's also a form of mission drip. Not mission drip, mission drift. We're kind of off task. What did God ask his disciples to do? Make more disciples. It's him the one who's bringing the kingdom. It's his reign through us over his place. So what do we do? You know, I used to think that when Jesus left during the ascension, he was basically, you know, he kind of says, you all continue my work. That that, that, was, that was some kind of joke, right? God, you can't be serious. You, you want us to continue your mission? How, how can we possibly do this, Jesus? You've got to be kidding. But this is what God had been intending all along. What did he create Adam and Eve for? He created them for a relationship, but he also gave them a job. They had work to do. They needed to care for God's creation. And um, this all happened before the fall, before sin entered the world. That's when their work became toil. And so maybe, just maybe, the redemption provided by Jesus extends to more aspects of our life than we originally thought. Maybe, just maybe, God always had a plan to reign or to have his reign be expressed through people. And I think that's real good news. I think that's amazing news. Because as I was preparing for this series on God's kingdom, I was reading through a, a couple books, and there was one called Seek First. It was written by this pastor, author, theologian, Jeremy Treat is his name. It was excellent. I, I, I stole several of his ideas, and I'm going to quote from his book a couple times this morning. But he's really good at pointing out these little subtle differences. And so one of these, he writes this. He says, God the creator king reigns over all his creatures, but he also reigns through his people. God's reign is a saving reign. The kingdom of God provides a holistic understanding of salvation, including not only what we're saved from, but what we are saved for. And we'll put this next part on the screen. He says, we are saved from death for life. We're saved from shame for glory. We're saved from slavery and for freedom. We're saved from sin and for following our Savior. Jeremy Tree writes, we are saved from the kingdom of darkness and for the kingdom of light. To be saved into the kingdom of God is to have God's comprehensive rule over every aspect of life. This is a far cry from merely asking Jesus into my heart. It means a new life, a new identity, and a new kingdom. So I wonder... How many followers of Jesus are aware of this? Or, or, or at least only half of it? You know, I would guess that most followers of Jesus understand that they're saved from. But how many of us could articulate what we're saved for? That's good news too. 
Not just that we're saved from, but what God has saved us for. And it makes all the difference. You know, the kingdom is God's reign through God's people over God's place. It's through God's people. His reign comes through us. And so uh, I want to spend just a few minutes of our remaining time to kind of help us imagine how that could happen through us. You know, when you decide to put your faith in King Jesus, you become a citizen of heaven, a citizen of his kingdom, and followers of Christ are sent into the world. They have work to do. They have a job. They have a mission. And one way to understand this work is, is there's a couple different ways to conceptualize this. One is you are his representative. You're his ambassador. You know, the, Jesus had 12 disciples. They, they came to be known as apostles. That word apostle means envoy. That's what a king would send to another kingdom. He would send envoys. He would send apostles. And so the apostles would represent their leader on foreign soil. They're promoting values and visions of this kingdom that they're from. So that's one way to kind of think about it. Like here, what, what am I? I'm representing God. I'm his ambassador. And um, I used to kind of let this weird me out. Because I would, you know, I need to be an ambassador for Jesus. And you kind of start to tell yourself a whole bunch of shoulds that you should be doing constantly as an ambassador of Jesus. And, uh, you know, I should be a better witness for Christ. You know, we even, we even write things on t-shirts, right? Witness wear to like, oh, we get a tattoo. We put stuff on our cars to identify ourselves as Christians in a fallen world. And uh, I won't say that you should never do any of that, but I might, I might suggest that you don't ever, ever do any of that. Um, I realize now that being an envoy or a representative of Jesus has less to do about me making it clear to the world and more about making it clear to me. Jesus is my king. I am a citizen in his kingdom. And um, we have this really weird way of compartmentalizing our life. And, uh, you know, allowing God to reign through his people means that we do so in everyday life. And a huge part of our life in every day is, is work, right? It's, it's school. It's how we spend the majority of our time. So if we were to learn to think in different ways, it could really help us. You know, uh, we think about doing kingdom work. We think of things like, or what comes to mind when, you, when I say that, you think of things like teaching Sunday school. You know, volunteering at church. You think of, I'm going to do kingdom work. I'm going to go on a mission trip. I'm going to serve at a homeless shelter. I'm going to lead a Bible study. That's sacred kingdom work. And we put it in a compartment over here. And then we have the rest of our life. Well, what if we just tore down that wall? We learn to think about this differently. And that if Jesus is inside of me through his Holy Spirit, incarnating to the world, then wherever I go, Jesus is. This all becomes a part of what God has called us to do. And, um, you know, like, what if you... We have these ways of thinking, like, what I do here at church is more spiritual than what, you know, someone who's a financial planner would do. That's just more spiritual. That's more sacred. 
What if we thought about this differently? What if we thought about it as, you know, I'm a follower of Christ first, and I happen to do this other thing. You know, I happen to be a financial planner. I happen to be a pastor. I'm a, I'm a Christian first, and I happen to also be a student. You see what I mean? You know, the world doesn't need more Christian plumbers. The world needs more people who follow Christ and happen to be plumbers. Okay, and you know this if you've ever tried to call a plumber in our area, right? There's not enough of them. But, but see what I'm saying? We have this idea that, oh, there's this stuff that we do on Sunday, or this is stuff that we do for God, and that's what God has called us to do. And I, I, I spend all my time over here trying to just get things ready so that I can spend just a little bit of time over here working for God. I don't think that's helpful. I don't think that's what God has asked us to do. It's like, no, we're a Christian first, and we happen to do these other things. And we bring Christ with us wherever we go. Um, here's a great way to explain it. Like, uh, I'm borrowing again from Jeremy Treat. He says this, When our work is understood within the story of the kingdom, people will want to be lawyers. I know, big surprise, right? Just kidding. My sister was a lawyer. I make that joke too often. People will want to be lawyers because they care about justice and not social status. Doctors, because they care about health and not wealth. Business persons, because they care about people and not profit. Artists, because they value beauty and not celebrity. For many people today, work is a way of building your own kingdom and making a name for yourself. The gospel frees us from looking at our work as a way of justifying ourselves and allows us to see work for what it was meant to be a calling from God to use our gifts and abilities to serve others in our society. You know, if we were to become a group of people who saw ourselves, understood ourselves in this way, what a difference that would make. That we don't just have this little compartment that's on the side where Sunday happens and Jesus happens, that that filters through my entire life. I mean, that would change everything, I, I think. I mean, it, it even changes it for me. As a pastor, someone who's doing spiritual work, it's like, no, I'm a Christian first, and I just happen to do these other things. This is how God spreads his kingdom. It's through us. God is at work in our work. When God is reigning in me, wherever I do, whatever I go, like that reign is being extended through me and all that I do, whether it's parenting or being a husband or you know, working or playing, whatever that is. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. This is Ephesians 2. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Please join me in prayer. Lord, you created good works for us to do in advance. You had a plan for us, a way to, to join the team, a way to participate, stuff to do. You have a role that only I can play, that 
that only each one of us can play. Lord, we want to live into that role. We want to surrender our lives to you. We want to offer them as a sacrifice to you, Lord. And by your grace, you redeem and you begin to restore us into that original vision of what you created the earth to be. Help us to be a part of that story. Help us to want to make that kind of difference. It's in the small stuff. It's in the big stuff too. But it's in all the stuff. Help us to see our lives in this new light of of allowing you to reign inside of us and having that reign through the power of your Holy Spirit extend through us into your world. Won't you do that, Lord? We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Well, this isn't our stopping point for today. Our stop-